This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to, to Asia Torah's Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, you guys should know I'm totally ignoring this thing the whole time. I'm just nice to them at the very beginning. I'm just being nice now. I'm not going to be nice later. Okay? Anyway. <laughs> But it's, it's such a pleasure, you know, because I got you, whatever, 35 people, however many you are, and and then there's thousands of people who see it. So it's like, it's just such a great two for the price of one type thing. Yo, what's up, guys? Um, we got a couple seats up here, actually. Um, there's three, actually. One. Can you help me and just pull this chair next to that chair? I'm going to try to get you guys as snugly as possible. Can you turn that chair around for the next uh, next person on the prices, all right? Coming, Mom! <laughs> and then if you can just shut the door there. What are we going to do for our next latecomer, though? Uh, I have different tricks. We have a ch- two chairs. You'll move in one if someone comes. You don't have to do it yet. Make a bracha. Boch ato adenai lehenamelech hoilam shahako nebrbo. Welcome back, Yochanan. We have this uh, this guy. He lives in an area that has more sheep than people. It's like New York has more lawyers than people. <laughs> Get it? He just kind of... So, that takes a lot of... Long time for a lot of people. More lawyers than people. Anyway, the... Um, what place has more sheep than people? Wales. Wales, New Zealand. New Zealand. It's New Zealand. And he's in the sticks in New Zealand, too. Uh, do you pay the moil in tips? Someone wrote that on their message. Anyway, I always think of, like, the, the classic... We're discussing circumcision today, so... I always think like a good moil should come in in, in foreskin boots. <laughs> you know, he just come marching in foreskin boots. And I played in a band in high school where I was the only Jew and I was the lead singer. And I and there were four guys in the band who were all Gentiles, and they were uncircumcised. So the band was called Johnny and the Foreskins. Um, anyway, so today's class is uh, is about circumcision, and uh, and it's obviously one of the more uncomfortable subjects that uh, ever gets discussed, and usually it never gets discussed. But it's one of the commandments, one of the six hundred thirteen commandments, and that commandment is specifically to remove the covering of the of the crown of the male member, um, and that is to take place. There's a covering, a, a membrane of skin there. And it is to be uh, it is to be removed for anyone of the descendants of Jacob, not necessarily Abraham. Although the Arabs think because they're the descendants of Abraham that they are to do it, but they do not have a commandment to do it. And cruelly, they do it at 13 years old, which is pretty rough. You know, I would personally run away from home on that day. What's that? Oh, it's good for practice. Uh-huh. I see. 
So we, we apparently we use Muslims for practice. Yeah. It makes it even worse. Yeah. Like, can you imagine a 13-year-old Muslim boy is like, like, oh, no, you know, circumcision. Like, yeah, well, we got a Jew to practice with you. Anyway, the, uh, but that's it. They, they, have to, they have to circumcise. Which, what does that mean? They, they remove that membrane from the top of the, uh, of the male member. And it's, uh, the way it's done is he, he basically, the moil, the moil is the man who does the job. It's a person who is in, uh, ordained to do it. And he, what he does, he basically pinches that whole membrane to pull it all tight. And then he slides on a guard. And that guard makes sure that nothing else gets cut, okay? Because we only want the skin cut. So he puts on that guard, and then he takes a, a blade that's not necessarily that sharp, um, but it's really more of a scissor uh, thing between the guard and the blade. Meaning between that guard and the blade, he just slides it along the guard, and it creates a scissor-type motion, and uh, and that does the job quite immediately. It's not a... It's not like a hunk of roast beef that he's slicing there. It's, you know, it's just like, you know, it just cuts right off. And then there's actually, and then he actually peels away. It's called perea. It's a secondary stage. You'll notice that uh, Moyle's thumbnails are, are pointed. They're long and they're like little knives. And, they, and what they do is they grab the membrane and it's down the backside of the, of the member. And, it, and they, peel, they peel, it's called perea and like the flowering and they they peel that all the way down near the base and you can notice there actually is a line on a man's at least a jewish man's body uh there'll be a line somewhere down that part of the of the that that uh member and uh and that's uh, where the priya ended and priya has to be done if priya wasn't done it's not considered a kosher circumcision um of course Gentiles and doctors don't know about Priya, and so they don't do Priya. A Jew who was circumcised but not via a mohel, he wasn't, it wasn't by a mohel. Remember, the mohel is the one who does it. That's M-O-H-E-L, mohel. So um, in Ashkenaz, it's usually called moil, um, but I mean, it's mohel is the classic Hebrew. So if the moil doesn't, if, the, if they're circumcised by a doctor or... Or a rabbi who doesn't know what he's doing, meaning he doesn't know how to do priya because he he was not trained properly, or or uh, or anyone else. So then the circumcision is invalid, and uh, we have to do it again. Um, just kidding. We're not gonna. There's nothing left there to cut, and we're certainly not gonna start peeling off skin. So so what happens then is they have to just have a little bit of blood removed um, from that part of the body. You know, it's pretty nothing nice about that, but it's uh, it's just a little prick, no offense, and it's um, and and a little bit of blood is taken. It's symbolic, but it has to be done by a certified mohel, who who does it with the right intentions, and then the job is done. Now you'd be shocked. Oh, we have two seats right here, ladies. Can you guys join each other here? Table for two. Your waiter will be right with you. <laughs> That is just the worst. <laughs> Can't believe the sound of that thing. So, you can just slide your chairs up. You can turn it more, too. I just turned it as much as I can. Turn it a little more so you're not getting whiplash. Okay. Anyway, so so that is... Uh, 
So that's called Hatafas. It's called Hatafat Dambrit. Uh, it's a, a little uh, removing of the blood of the circumcision, and it's for people who never had it done. It's a very special thing to do, and there's probably several men in the room right now who never had that done. Um, you should know there's a ceremony happening at my house tomorrow for a whole family of men who never had it done. And, uh, and anyone who wants to jump in on it, you know, I'm not talking about to come watch. I'm talking about any men. <laughs> it's going to be done privately, you know, in one of the rooms. But, uh, but there will be a certified mohel at my house tomorrow at 1 p.m. And uh, there will be, uh, after that, there will be shots. And uh, we'll be drinking shots and, uh, and eating uh, cake, I guess, uh, in honor of the... You know, whenever there's a bris, we drink shots and eat cake. So even though this isn't a full-on circumcision, it's just a, um, basically a painless removal of a little blood for those who are not circumcised by a proper uh, circumciser. They, uh, so there will be, that'll be happening at our house tomorrow. I don't think women should show up to this. Uh, I think it's just going to be like more of a men's club event. And, uh, but uh, that's at my place at 1 p.m. tomorrow. You can get my address later and, and join in the fun. Uh, this particular moel handles all the students at Asia Torah, which is like, these days, it's like 8 out of 10 need this done. So, And if someone wants the full-on circumcision, uh, I just want to discuss that for a moment. Um, there are also Jewish men whose parents didn't circumcise them for one reason or another. And, but later they find themselves in a situation where they really want to be circumcised. They want to be amongst the people. And it's also, it's pretty serious stuff because... Uh, there's certain commandments require that everyone there present are circumcised. Uh, one of those would be a Passover Seder. Passover Seder, everyone at the Seder must be circumcised by, you know, the real deal circumcised. So there's quite a lineup right before Passover in Jerusalem because people didn't know that their whole life, and now it's coming up to Passover night, and the moils are working overtime with this, whether it's the whether it's the, the removing of a little blood or whether it's a full-on circumcision. For the full-on circumcision, we do the shots before the circumcision. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a, it's a, that's more of a surgical event, also done by a mohel, but a mohel who's, who's, uh, who's got the ability to do it for an adult male. And that's pretty rough. That's a rougher experience, but you know what? You come out of there a real man, you know, after that. And that's rough. I think it's... I have a feeling it's not general anesthesia. I think it's local, right? Is it local? It's local. And, uh, and it apparently is one of the more rewarding things that men will do in their lives if a man made it that far. Um, there are only two positive commandments that come with spiritual exism. Uh, one of those commandments is to um, not eat from the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. So, so the Passover lamb, like I meet sometimes observant vegetarians, we're, you know, fully observant vegetarians. And they, you know what they say? They say, I'm, uh, some are vegans. They say, I'm vegan. I only eat the Paschal lamb. Meaning when, the, when we finally get up to that temple mount and sacrifice the Paschal lamb, they're not going to let their vegetarianism be more important than a commandment in the Torah. See, there's no time you're really commanded to eat meat except for Passover night and the Passover lamb. How's it going? We got a bench over here. Don't with this table. I just don't want to make that noise. Can you slide your feet in? Uh, it's a bench. What? What about what? Which toe? Yom Tov, you don't have to eat meat. 
If you like meat, then you have to eat meat on Yom Tov. But someone who's vegetarian has no obligation to eat meat on Yom Tov. Yom Tov means holidays. It's not someone putting a steak on my belly. What about on Yom Tov? Yom Tov means holidays, and no one's obligated to eat meat off my belly. Okay, so anyway, but the but the so so the Passover lamb is a positive commandment: Thou shall eat the Paschal lamb. And if someone says, "Nah, I'm not interested," so he gets this heavy duty, you know, this heavy duty punishment, which is the same punishment for like eating on Yom Kippur, and it's the same punishment for like. You know, other heavy stuff, which you're just not allowed to do. By the way, no one gets this punishment who doesn't know what they're doing. Meaning, everyone should realize, like, if you blew it and ate on Yom Kippur's because you didn't know what you were doing in the first place, in the first place, like the way, if you were raised anywhere like me, you know, so eating on Yom Kippur, you don't get that kind of busted. And also, interestingly, that the other positive commandment, besides the Paschal Lamb, thou shalt, there's a thou shalt circumcise, and the... And it, but it has the same punishment for anyone who keeps themselves uncircumcised. So the second, that's why it's probably a good idea for those who were circumcised but not by a mohel to have it done by a, uh, to come at 1 p.m. and have yourself uh, have this experience tomorrow because then you're at least, you know, you're not waiting. Now, I don't know if someone circumcised by a doctor is just as busted as someone who is totally with foreskin, meaning someone with full foreskin is for sure busted. Now, one more thing to note. Someone with full foreskin's not busted till he's ready. Once he's ready, meaning imagine like, imagine you like suddenly found out. Um, someone please raise their hand who's willing to say I'm circumcised, okay? Okay, great. Buy a moil, yeah, buy a moil, buy a moil, excellent. Now imagine, I don't know, I'll go with you. Imagine you just found out. Imagine you were not circumcised, and you just found out for the first time that you have to do it. And, and otherwise it gets this like major, it has major spiritual ramifications. And you'd never heard of it before. Would you want a day or two to consider this? Or would you just be running to the closest guy with a knife? Everyone get that? You wouldn't necessarily jump in, right? It's like, maybe I want to study a little more about this. Maybe I want to read some books. Maybe I want to talk to some rabbis. So what happens is they're never really busted until they're ready. Once they're ready, then they have to do it that day. So the best way to do it is say to a moil, say to a moil, I'm now considering this. Please be ready at, at a, any moment's notice. Because I'm going to need it that day. Because he doesn't want that punishment. The punishment has to do with where your head's at. You can't like spend, go overnight or I guess let the sun set with you uncircumcised once you're ready to be circumcised. Now, whether that has to do with as well as the other thing, you know, we'll keep you guys on hold for a second. We're going to ask Moshe Chaim, see what he says. You, uh, anyone got a phone? We'll, we're going to dial the guy who's doing, the, uh, doing the, the pricks tomorrow. And uh, we'll check with him. Let's see if he answers. Meaning, uh, does that guy also have to do it that day? We'll, we'll find that out. Now, you got his number? Oh, excellent. Okay, we got, we got the moil on the, on the line here. Okay. <laughs> oh. what, is, what is that? How does ringer change from one ringer to another? 
Come on, Mashiachem. Hey, Moshe Chaim, how are you? David, how are you? It's, it's actually Yom Tov. Um, you're in front of uh, some 35 people in essentials. We were wondering, is there an, is, does some, would someone get curious if they've had circumcision, but they didn't have it done by a moil, and they're not quite ready to get the Hatafas Dom Bris? Is someone, or they, do they have to get Hatafas Dom Bris, or they're, or, or, are there, or? They had it by a Jewish moil, but he was a performer or something? Yeah, he he didn't do it. I'm just asking if someone's missing Hatafas Dam Bris, are they also under Karis issues? No, but I mean, do they have a, do they have a, was it done by a Jewish moil? Let's say not first. So if it wasn't, you're really fine. You're really, uh, it's, uh, it is a question, but as long as that skin is uh, not there, then you're really in... In, uh, in good shape. You're in good shape if the skin's but, uh, not there. Excellent. And what if someone had a... Re- what if someone had a reform rabbi do it? So then, uh, according to Rabbi Kiva Eger, the majority opinion that it's fine. He doesn't even need to have it. It's really a chumrah, but most people want to even have it done again. Thank you so much. Everyone say thank you to Moshe Chaim. Moshe Chaim. Also, I invited more people to tomorrow at 1 p.m. You don't mind... Doing that to a few more people, do you? Perhaps. I mean, I just made this whole announcement. Yeah, many people who want. Okay, they'll be lined up out the door. Okay. okay. Bye, Mashkayim. We love you. Bye, bye. Okay. Well, we got our answers. So it turns out that uh, the guy who was circumcised even by a doctor is in good shape regarding that prohibition. And uh, otherwise, uh, and, and so he doesn't have to worry about that. Someone who has a Jewish man do it, who is not ordained to do it, is also in good shape. Though some, for stringency, will still do the blood removal thing. And, um, and, then, uh, and then lastly, is someone who's had it done by a Gentile has to have the blood removed. Uh, has to have that little blood removal ceremony. If you think we were only going to do the technical aspects of this, we're not. That was only the first 20 minutes of class. And now we're going into the, uh, the deeper stuff. Um, I'll take your question first, though. Go ahead. So if someone has had the blood removed but didn't know about it and they went to go do it again, is there any harm in doing it again? They, they didn't know about what? If they had the blood removed. When, like, they had the blood removed and they didn't know about what? If they didn't know they had the blood removed. Like when you were a kid, like your parents never told you about your whole experience. Uh, but they had it happen. No, he wouldn't have to do it again. But sure. what happens if he did do it again, I'm saying, and the second time? Do it again. Shh, all the power to him. It doesn't make him in better shape, but it's certainly not worse shape. Not yeah. I mean, you could do it weekly, I suppose, if you're, <laughs> if you're really into that kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> no bracha. There's no blessing either on this. Okay, so now that we covered that, we're going to talk a little bit about why. What was God thinking? I mean, this is really weird. I mean, first of all, we have removing it altogether. Like that, that itself is a little strange because the body, you would think the body is born perfect. And why does the body need this kind of uh, cosmetic adjustment here, which is pretty serious cosmetic adjustment? 
Um, you should know that an interesting thing, that on the eighth day is the height of the coagulation of blood in a human's life, meaning, meaning blood doesn't coagulate so good, higher, 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 day by day by day by day till the eighth day, and then blood coagulation goes down in your life till you get old and it's, you know, people get, uh, get uh, thinner blood. But uh, the, the height of blood coagulation is actually on the eighth day. And apparently, also, the nerve endings of the body there, which, as you all know, is the most sensitive spot, is apparently not that sensitive, although good luck interviewing an eight-day-old baby to figure that out. I have a bit of a drinking problem. <laughs> At least right now. Here we go. No, no, no towels. It's good it'll evaporate. Well, I'll get, it's a bit of a humidifier. <laughs> Let's try that again. Have you guys felt a little plastics in this? <laughs> What's going on here? I think we're starting to save money in the wrong places. You know? Anyway, the I mean, that thing literally just like just went clink and flew right out of my hand. Um, it's really an important commandment in that it trumps. Sorry to use that word, but it trumps Shabbat. Trump Shabbat. You're not allowed to have any blood removed on Shabbat of any type. You're not even allowed to peel scab. You're not allowed to peel your skin. You're not allowed to peel cuticle. You're not allowed to cut your nails or even pull off a nail. No removal of skin and certainly no uh, letting of blood on Shabbat. Yet circumcision completely trumps Shabbat. It, this is a mitzvah. I'm not going to ex- explain why exactly, but it is even more important than the laws of Shabbat. And so there are, the, it is, you know, a full-on commandment on Shabbat. And most molehills, especially the more popular ones, are busy every Shabbat going from bris to bris. So they're doing, I mean, they've never had a Shabbat probably in months or weeks or years or, where they did not do it, including Yom Kippur. That they will do it even on Yom Kippur. Another part of it, which is a little weird, is uh, they have to cause blood to come out more so it doesn't clot too much, meaning it can clot immediately. But they have to, they have to, um, there has to be some kind of suction. Now, in the in today's modern world, most mohills use a, something to cause the suction, meaning they'll put something over the member of the child to cause the suction. But traditionally, and this still goes on, in, at least in Israel and probably other very black hat communities is the suction is caused by the mouth of the actual uh, moil. This is probably one of the most shocking parts of the whole thing is that if someone's never seen a bris, they're just like, what's going on now? You know, um, it's, it's pretty rough to watch that. And how about being a moil? You know, like now you're, now you, now you get, you're like drinking blood, you know? So of course he spits it out and washes his mouth out after that. Um, it's it, the whole thing's pretty gory, and and that's obviously one of the rougher parts. But it's a very important part um, for the health of the baby that there's that blood is uh, it shouldn't clot right on the scar. It should there should be some more blood drawn from from the baby, and um, um, and actually uh, there are those who use it today for uh, because of sexually transmitted diseases that that they'll that they'll use. Meaning they would do it with their mouth, but they're just being careful. And they're, so they'll use they'll use some kind of uh, and some do it with their mouth, but with a with some kind of tube 
to remove the blood, and some do it with a little pump, just pulling a little blood from it, but there has to be extra blood removed. Now, you guys are probably right now in major TMI mode right now. You guys know what TMI means? Too much information. Yeah, sorry to give you all that information, but that's just part of the commandment. Anyway, it trumps Shabbat. If, however, the baby's not strong enough for the bris, it, it, the eighth day, by the way, it's the eighth day that trumps Shabbat. If it lands perfectly on Shabbat, the eighth day, that trumps Shabbat. Otherwise, it doesn't. So let's say, for example, the baby's finally ready for the bris. Let's say the baby wasn't strong enough on the eighth day. So now it's the tenth day, and the moil is determined he is strong enough. Well, then you've got to do it on the tenth day. But what if the tenth day is Shabbat? We break Shabbat for it, or we don't? We don't. Then we, we don't break Shabbat, and rather we do it on Sunday, the, the following day. The only time we ever... Um, the only time we ever do a bris on Shabbat is on the eighth day, just on the eighth day. Um, yes? Why can't you just do it when Shabbat ends on that eighth day? When Shabbat ends, that's the ninth day. Yeah, sorry. D- yeah, the day begins and the night begins the day. Yeah. Got to refer to Jim Morrison in the doors. <laughs> the night begins the day in Judaism. Now, yes, ma'am? Um, is it normally done at the point of the day, like morning versus night? Um, it's supposed to be done in the morning, ideally. However, the... Um, why? Because you're, you're supposed to jump up for commandments. I mean, we're supposed to, like, jump out of bed and go put on our tefillin. We're not supposed to wait till we get to the Chabad stand down below later in the day. Like, you're actually supposed to be like... When you wake up, you're like, where's my tefillin? Where's, uh, you know, we're more like, where's my smartphone? But, but you're supposed to get your tefillin on the very beginning of the day, and there's spiritual reasons why. But the, uh, but the same thing with bris. When you've got a commandment to do, go do it. And in fact, uh, the, it says that uh, Abraham got up that morning. It was a bit superfluous because he wakes up every morning. Why did the Torah go out of its way to mention he got up that morning? It's telling us that he jumped out of bed as soon as it was dawn to get the job done. So, like, he really got up to do it. And uh, that's something you want to do in the morning. However, um, there are people who have it later in the day, and I'm very appreciative when they do because they often serve meat at these meals. And, you know, eating meat at 10 in the morning is just not my cup of tea. You know, having a meat meal. So, you know, Asia Torah and other Bali Chuba modern Orthodox are famous for having milchig brises, and everyone's quite appreciative of that. But, but the more, like, black attitude types make fun of that. Like, you know, you've got to eat meat at a, at a bris. Okay. Um, so now we're going to talk about the secrets behind it. Why there? Why did God make it there? Now, I'd like you to understand something. God has our bodies as pleasure sensors. He created us with pleasure sensors. Everything you're hearing me with now are nerves. You have nerve endings everywhere, like nerve endings on your um, audio. You know, you have this membrane called an eardrum, this tympanic membrane. It's collecting via nerves, and I've been listening already today to some very, very pleasurable music. And your eyes are witnessing things via the optic nerves. And those are, you know, that's a high concentration of nerves. Your skin, you maybe are feeling the air in the room, your, the fibers of your clothing. And even if someone gives you a massage, mine's at 5 p.m. today, by the way. Someone bought me a massage. Two thumbs up, which is amazing. So when you get a massage, the, uh, it's also, it's all, those are nerve endings. And you're appreciating it. It's a joyous thing. When the food goes in your mouth and you taste those delicious wines, craft beers, you know, burritos. Last night we had burritos at our house. So we have burritos with guacamole, 
Those are nerve endings. Once again, you're back to your nerve endings. They're, your mouth, your taste buds are collecting these pleasures. So God lined our body with pleasure sensors, our whole body's pleasure sensors. And this is one of the reasons we know God loves us. One of the reasons we know God loves us is because he has literally like plastered your body with pleasure sensors. Now, we take them for granted. We don't think about it too much. But maybe right now you're getting a sense that it's true, you know, that, you're, that you're God's lined your body with pleasure sensors. But there is no place on the body that has more nerve endings for your pleasure than the, the genital area. The genital area is the place of the greatest pleasure. That is by far the greatest pleasure on the whole human body. And, and once again, it's a sign from God saying, I love you. It's just another sign. Now, you could say it's purely, you know, biological, because if you put the pleasure sensor there, there's more likely to have procreation and stuff, because, you know, eventually species will figure out that feels good and, and figure out other things as well and eventually have children. But, but looking at it from, the, from a theological perspective, from a God-oriented perspective, it's a sign of love, just like delicious foods and delicious sights, seeing the Swiss Alps or hearing a gorgeous piece of music is also a sign of God's love. And, and so, but this spot, if your body's lined with pleasure sensors, and this spot's got the most pleasure sensors, so that's God's way of saying, I love you, through the sexual act, through sexuality. Now, why have this covenant there? It's a very strange place for the covenant. First of all, it's completely invisible to the rest of the world. Like if God wanted us to have a covenant, he could have had it be an article of clothing like a kippah. It could have been something maybe on our ears, like, you know, circumcise your ears or something. It could have been another part of your body. But it's actually what they call the private parts. And, uh, and that part... By the way, I just want to mention, since we're on this, that female... Uh, circumcision is completely and totally forbidden. And, and in fact, quite the opposite, that the pleasure centers of a woman are to be, are to be um, protected. And, and they are, and in fact, quite the opposite. The, in Judaism, we are taught that, that a man must please his wife before himself. That a man starts with his wife before himself. And that, that's the, that is the order of events in Jewish marriage. So, but back to, back to the covenant. Why is the covenant there? So it's kind of like the song, New York, New York. You know, if you can make it there, you'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. So if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. What's that supposed to mean? If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. If you can let that relationship with God be before your own pleasure, so then the other things, like not eating that piece of lobster or not eating some milk after you had meat or all the other places in life where you got to hold back, not, you know, stealing or... When I say stealing in Judaism, we don't steal. But let's just say not bringing up certain monies that came across during a business deal. Not, that's, that's a Jewish version of stealing. Um, but to be dishonest in business is also can be very much stealing. And, and if you're someone who has the circumcision under control, I mean, that is the one part of the body that knocks out even some of the most refined people. You know, it's in the tabloids all the time. It's in the news all the time. We're in the Me Too year right now. 
where people who were considered highly respected individuals have their careers have plummeted into the abyss all because of that part of the body it is considered the most greedy part of the body it is a part of the body where people will ruin others lives uh, through seduction and completely destroy people whether they be married or whether they be single um, it is it is of the most selfish if not the most selfish parts of the entire human body and the human experience it is of the ultimate greed that part of the body it is self-centered in in the extreme but if someone makes the covenant with God there meaning what I mean by make it meaning you become committed to protecting the bris it's called you've heard of the word Shomer Shabbat like someone who keeps Shabbat so there's something called Shomer Habrit is someone who keeps the circumcision someone who keeps the circumcision meaning meaning he considers it Kodesh in fact the moil right before he cuts the circ- the the uh Right before he cuts the foreskin off, he yells, Bris Kodesh. He says, Brit Kodesh, the, 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 the covenant. Brit means covenant, the, covenant, the holy covenant. This is our holy covenant with the Creator. Why? Because, again, New York, New York, if you can have that part of your body, that part of your life under control, i.e. your sexuality, if your sexuality has God first and you second, that means that you are going to be a mensch in all the other details of your life. That is a sign that everything else, because if you got that wired, that's exactly where even the highest people fall. But if you can be just a, even a young man, which, by the way, it's a much bigger mitzvah for a young man, like a guy anywhere between the ages of 15 and 40, you know, anyone in those ages has that under control, meaning, meaning that's part of the covenant with their creator, super powerful act. That is a powerful act. He is a strong man. In fact, the Mishnah tells us who is the strong man, Ezehu Gibor. Who is the strong man? Someone who is able to vanquish his impulse, his you know, impulse, specifically the sexual impulse. But any impulse. You know, a strong man wants to yell and scream and lose his temper but stops himself. That's a strong man. See, the rest of the world, both East and West, Consider the strong man the one with the biggest muscles, the biggest guns, the most, the most F-35s. That's the strong man. But in Judaism, the strong man is the, the man who has self-control. That's the strong man. And now there's no stronger man than the man who has the Brit Milah, the covenant of the circumcision, as a covenant. You know, most people think the covenant of circumcision is on the eighth day. No. That's when we do this. That's when we cut the skin. But the covenant of the circumcision is, the sec- the, is from the moment you have your first sexual thought to the end of your life. Like that is where that is when the mitzvah starts. So being shomer abris isn't mean doesn't mean you get, you gave your kid a circumcision. Shomer abris means that the second you had your first sexual thought, you were able to to um, to you were able to subjugate that urge to higher higher purpose. Now, the, the, when you look at a pie chart of people's desires, when you look at a pie chart, so these are all the desires of people. So in this chart will be everything. Like I'm going to, let's say I put a different slice for all the different things people want. 
you know, people want a relationship with their parents, they want a relationship with their siblings, they want, you know, uh, they might want a nice car, they might want to make some good money, they might want to uh, take vacations, you know, there's a lot of things people want. Now, um, here's something really shocking, what I'm about to show you. Oh, and one more thing, is that someone who's involved with any sexual behavior other than husband and wife, and even husband and wife being, being uh, permitted relationship because it has to be the right times under menstruation they're they're separate until she, a woman goes to the mikvah she has to have a ritual immersion in a in a pool and after menstruation so they're separate during those times of course that never happens amongst in the birth control sorry in the non-birth control community which is the black hat community doesn't use birth control so that never happens because the women are always pregnant or nursing and when women are pregnant or nursing they're never menstruating so someone can live with their wife for 20 years without her ever menstruating. But, but of course, they're going to have a slew of kids, you know, over that period of time. And, uh, you know, the only family planning they have is they're planning to have a big family. So I know it seems insane, and all of us usually look at family planning as based on the size of your car. And no one wants a family van, so three kids is about the max. But the uh, but the actual uh, family planning in Judaism is uh, is just keep having them. Um, I'm not going to talk about that today. I might be interested in talking about that tomorrow, because it really is a big issue. Is having a you know having a large amount of children is a is a it brings up a lot of different issues that can come up with that and and, uh, and uh, serious things that need need uh, discussion. But that's not where we are. Over here, I would be creating pie slices of pie for everything you want. Now, here's the crazy thing. Someone who is sexually deviant, what's the word deviant mean? What do it mean to deviate? Going apart from the norm. What is the norm according to the Torah? Husband and wife, marriage. Husband and wife, anything outside of that, including, including masturbation even is already under the, under the term sexual deviancy. Anything, right? The Taurus very clearly prescribes that sexuality takes place between husbands and wives. Uh, husband and wife. And the... And the... And that, and that... Well, if it's not that, then it deviated. And that's called sexual deviancy. I know you guys think sexual deviancy is something that takes place in like freaked out places and, you know, clubs in San Francisco. But we have a much tighter definition of sexual deviancy. It's anything other than marriage. So, the... Now, guess what Judaism calls the sexually deviant person? You know what they're called? If it's a female, she's called a Kadesha. And if it's a male, he's called a Kadesh. Now, what do you know about the word Kadesha or Kadesh? What is that root? Kuf, Dalet, Shin. What does it mean? means holy. Well, well, very good. So, so does it mean holy? Does it mean separate? Most people said holy. Some people said separate. Mm, could it be that holy and separate come together? Like, like six days a week you do your work and on the Shabbat is called Shabbat Kodesh. It's separate. The Sabbath is separate. And so it's called holy and it's also called separate. There's a lot of goyim in the world and then there's a gr group called goy kadosh. They're separate from the 70 nations. And that's the, the Jews 
are called the Goy Kadosh. You could call us the holy nation, but we're also the separate nation. Anything that's separated out gets that term. Now, why would you call the sexually deviant person? Obviously, we're not calling them holy, so it must be we're calling them separate. And who causes them to be separate? Themselves. They separated themselves from something that, was been, that had been a norm. So they separated themselves. But it is interesting that it gets that term. But you ready for this? This is the crazy part. Watch this. Now let's say there's pie slices everywhere. And now you have a, now you have a heterosexual couple. Is anyone here, husband and wives here? We've got a couple in the room. Yeah, uh, would you guys mind? I won't film you, but would you mind? Oh, you're, you're married also? Okay, so we've got two couples. Um, do you mind if we all look at you? <laughs> when we look at you two, we might think of all kinds of things you're into, okay? Like going to Torah class in Jerusalem and stuff. But you can stop staring at them now. They, we just don't think about that part, you know? Like, they have a lot of different interests. And, like, how, you know, there's another couple here, I'm married. Like, how thick a slice do you really put on their sexuality? Of a married person you know. You know, I mean, you, a lot of you guys have known me for a while. Like, has it even, do you even think about such a thing as my identity? Like, do you think of my sexuality when you think of my identity? No. No, you don't. No matter how much you know me. I mean, uh, there might be girls in here for the wrong reasons. But, the, like I said yesterday, like, go to seminary and learn with women. Okay? So, the, um, so, therefore, how thick a slice, if you could know me or anyone else in this room for years and never think of their sexual identity, that means that someone who's involved with normative sexual identity, normative meaning husband and wife, that the slice on the pie almost doesn't exist in your eyes, for them, and for them, how about them? How, I mean, obviously, people are married and having kids. They have a sexual identity with their spouse. But how big is it? How, do you, how big would you guess? Think about your own parents. How big is their sexual identity? It's not a... Th- yeah, you don't want to think about your parents. But how big is a slice? You know, if this is like sports... Oops, S. Uh, sports. <laughs> if this is money, the family... You know, how big a slice? It's not going to be that even big as those. It's something they do, but it's not a big part of their ID. It doesn't hit the, it doesn't really hit the pie chart. You get that? But check this out. This is one of the greatest, trippiest things. Is that when someone has sexuality, that big S stands for sexuality, that is non-normative, not normative, i.e. single above the age of 18, and meaning they've got all kinds of things on their minds, how much of their identity is sexuality? How big a slice do you put? Let's just start with a regular heterosexual man who's 20 years old with a serious libido, okay? Now, I can really tell you, first of all, I I was there. (laughs) You know, I only learned about Judaism when I was 23. So, I was there, and secondly, I'm spending all my life teaching them, these guys, these knuckleheads who need a cold shower. And the, it's literally from the clothes they wear to, I'm not talking about the yeshiva boys, I'm talking about when they first come in. From the clothes they wear, to the style of their hair, to the car they drive, to the, the, uh, the place they work, 
to the like and, and a million other things and even their their aspirations financially have everything to do with it and you understand it's like a total mind clamp on their ID now how big a slice do you make a guy like that tell me when to stop where do you stop on how much of their idea is sexuality where do I go no I'm going to, no one's saying stop let's just go to there <laughs> okay, let's just say there's something, you know, this pie is like mom and dad and, and you know, and, and the guitar and the car and and the car and the car so what you start to see is is that it just he's a Kaddish he, meaning his sexual identity has separated him out. His identity is, is completely separated out for sexuality. I mean, that one part of the body has, ha, has had a military takeover over his whole ID. And, and this is why the strong man, why does the Mishnah say the strong man? It, the strong man is someone who has it in perspective. He's put it, he's removed it. From all that idea, which has all entered his his strength as a man, meaning that's a strong man or what, what is this guy's a strong man or a weak man? This guy, strong or weak? This man is an absolute and total weakling. He deserves no respect except for me because I respect absolutely everyone. But on a scale of like people to respect, this guy is a a moral wimp. You understand? This guy is like, has no power. He is powerless over that little, no offense, part of his body. Okay? He has no, there's nothing to respect there. Now, I meet these guys all the time because I get these groups coming of like, guys, you know, they're on their, you know, two weeks in Israel that they got this subsidized trip, birthright, whatever. And then we're sitting and we're having a beer and I got my guitar and I'm supposed to like, you know, turn them on to spirituality for an hour with my guitar out. And these guys have all these little wisecracks about the girls on the trip and stuff, and like they're doing the macho thing. They don't realize that all their, what they're showing me is just like their muscles are here, hanging below like a 90-year-old man. Meaning, meaning I'm, they don't realize that the, the exact opposite of impressing took place. This was not impressive. This was a sign of incredible, incredible weakness. Incredible weakness that they have had a full hijacking from one little part of the body, which is the part that they're so scared to death of because it represents them in their lives. It has been a, a, a identity takeover, and either they are someone as a result of it or they are no one as a result of it. When meanwhile, for someone involved in normative sexuality, it is a non-issue. It is a non-starter. It doesn't mean anything. Now, by the way, I used heteros- a regular heterosexual young man with a strong libido as our example. But when you go into other, other aspects of sexuality, um, uh, which, you know, you can use your own imagination. These days, there's all kinds of options out there. But what you often will hear is they'll be, they're, they're trying to yell out to the world, and they've got a lot of political, media, and academic backing today, to say that this is who I am. 
This is who I am. Now, could you imagine me walking into this classroom one day and announcing that? You know, I, am I going to go on a married men's march through the streets of Jerusalem? They have a march. They have a march. Like they're, 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 It's called coming out. You're coming out. You're letting the whole world know this is my ID. Now, now listen... I'm all about, you know, individuals and their choices. You know, I'm, I'm very liberal when it comes to that. And, and I think God is too. You know, you see, he gave all of us enough rope to hang ourselves. And, and, we've, we, and sadly, so many people do, you know, in so many different ways. But, but so we're quite liberal with individual choice. And, and certainly some man who wants me to call him a she, you know, and use female pronouns for him, I certainly would respect that. And that for sure, everyone has their choice and they make their choices. But to come out with, when sexuality has become an ID, like it has the heterosexual young man or woman, or the, or the, the, the gay person or whomever, when they're coming out to announce their identification. So that's when a person who keeps the Torah says, you are deeply confused. That sexuality has become part of your identification as a human being. You're, you're, you're a million miles away. And, and of course, the Torah nails it, as usual, by calling them a Kadesh or a Kadesha. It always, Torah always cuts right through everything. And you see, like Torah, like a laser beam, just cuts through the issue and boom, and nails it with that word to say that, yes, if you're involved with anything other than marital sexual relationship, it will take over your life. But when you live it in a normative way, it, 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 it becomes a non-issue with your ID of who you are, which is where it belongs. Yes, it's pleasurable, but it has nothing to do with who you are and your, and your human identity. Nothing to do with that. We are way deeper and way, way beyond that. And this is all the deeper meanings of why we have this covenant called circumcision. It's the covenant with God because God gave us all a chance. He gave us all a chance to be strong. History is the history, human history is the history of weakness when it comes to sexuality. And you think God didn't know that? Abraham only comes along after 2,000 years of human history, meaning Adam and Abraham is almost 2,000 years. He was born in 1948. Meaning 1,948 years after Adam was Abraham, and only 100 years after that, in 2050, did he actually do the circumcision, or 2050-47. He was 99, I think, for the circumcision. 2047 after Adam. 2,000 years went by. God's saying, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Get power back to your life. Be empowered. Don't let that part of your body wipe you out. It's our, it, that circumcision is our sign of strength. That's our power. Get powerful. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.